know, and it's so awesome because the Lord picks it. And, uh, and my intro story was actually about needing him, and she did not know that. So thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, even already you have ministered to us in this group. God, I don't presume to know or be able to bring anything on my own, but only what has worth today comes from you. And so Lord, we ask you to open your truth to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would dig deep and minister and expose and enlighten. God, we want to encounter you because we need you. And we ask you this day to provide what we need and minister deeply. And in these things we pray, amen. So uh, about six months ago, I believe it was Jonathan asked me, well, what are you all doing in the, in the spring and the fall? And I said, I said, James, I said, but oh, in the spring we're doing uh, Proverbs. And I, I guess I wear my, what I'm feeling on my face because he goes, oh, then you must really need Proverbs. And uh, <laughs> And so I, I, actually, that became the platform for all the study that I did. And knowing that this semester was going to be really busy for me, I started the lesson in, uh, at Thanksgiving, actually. I, I did all the lessons. I'm completely done with the whole semester. I, surprise, feel a lot more wise. And I, just a, a little bit of a spoiler, this semester is, is beautiful, and it, and it really does bestow just nuggets upon nuggets of wisdom in this book. And, and part of the reason why I learned so much is because I had that in my head the whole time, that I must need Proverbs. And so uh, here we are, and uh, in, in light of that, and as I'm speaking out loud, I'm thinking, you know, and that's kind of the main goal of this lesson today, is to see our need for wisdom. And so today, it, part of my objective and what I, I felt as I prayed and prepared for this lesson is that we would, our, our need for the Lord would be exposed uh, through this study and, and by the end today, because a lot of times we look at folly and we look at Proverbs and we go, oh, I know that, or I do this, oh, but I don't do that, and, and we, we approach it kind of lackadaisical it, it, in, instead of thinking, you know, what do I really need? And so the Lord worked in my heart in that matter, and um, I have surprised, so richly been blessed uh, by this text and by this content today. So today, uh, we're going to do a, a quick bird's eye flyover view, because when I study the Word of God, I just want someone to tell me, like, what does it say? I want to know, in general, what the word, what Proverbs says about folly, and that's my goal. So it's going to feel like uh, uh, we're going to fly over real fast. You're going to get some information in the first half of this, and then we're going to dig deeper. And then next week, we are going to we're going to come right up to folly, and we're going to look at our hearts, and we're going to to really dig deep to apply and make sure that we're guarding our hearts, not walking in the way of folly. Um, and, and it's going to be right where the rubber meets the road. So, so very intentional, and, and whereas this week is going to focus more on the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament informs the Old, and so next week we're going to apply new, new, the New Testament concepts and, and kind of and, and hone deeper into folly, if that makes sense. So that's the plan for today and next week. Um, and so, in the, as, as we learned in the past few weeks, and it's been wonderful, I have been doing these lessons. I've been coming into the evening classes and learning from Katie, which has been wonderful. And I love learning how the first nine chapters really set an introduction and, and, and gird us and prepare us for everything else that comes in the rest of Proverbs and how much depth is there. But when I, when I first read them at a first glance, 
I kept thinking, well, what, why do they talk so much about adultery? I mean, like, here's folly, but, you know, they keep comparing it to adultery, and so I had to figure this out. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, talking to someone, and they have something in their face, and you're having a hard time paying attention to what they're saying because it's all you can see. Well, with me and my ADD, I just, I had to get to the bottom of this, and it was very informative for me to get into uh, what happened, and I'm, I'm going to describe that now. So, so first of all, um, in Proverbs 1 through 9, Solomon spends one-fourth of this introductory part consisting against this warning of adultery. So that begs the question, why is he talking about this? Because he is relating it to folly. And so we have to say, you know, we have to come in and question why, all right? And that's, and that's what uh, we're going to do. So what we see is that it's not simply the sex act of adultery that the focus is, but the entire process of folly and of evil. In fact, Solomon is describing two different types of women, all right? There's Dame Wisdom and there's Madam Folly. So we need to look at this content both practically and literally. We can understand that it would be practical because this is a father speaking to his son. And what would you want to tell your son? You would want to explain to them, this is the type of woman to avoid and this is the type of woman that you really want to pursue and the type of woman that you want to be with. And so in that, in this introduction, we see that he's explaining to him practically, look at this woman, pursue wisdom with all your heart, but avoid this type of woman. So it's literal and it's practical. But on the other hand, we see that it's also metaphorical, okay? And this is huge. One way we know this is because the word, the word way or path is repeated very frequently in this first chapter. And most scholars that I read agree that these two women, Dame Wisdom and Madam Folly, personify two different ways. So it's not just the literal woman that they're describing in this act. What it is, it's, it's two different ways that we can choose um, of wisdom or folly, all right? And we can see that in Proverbs 31, can't we? I don't know about you, but I read Proverbs 31, and I want to be that woman. But when we look at the text this way, we can, metaphorically, we can understand that wisdom fully personified would look like the Proverbs 31 woman. And while we can ascribe to be that, this is the full personification of what wisdom would look like. And that relieves some of the pressure, but at the same time, it's a glorious, wonderful pursuit that we can be after. So... Uh, so Solomon is giving his son a visual of wisdom as if it was fully personified in this text as well, okay? And then Madam Folly is personifying the nature of folly, and that's what we see. And so we're going to look contextually at how folly is described in Proverbs as this woman, all right? So Madam Folly refers to all the ways of committing sin, all right? She is godless. She speaks lies or partial truth. She takes. She speaks of empty promises of fleeting pleasure. Interestingly, that she is described as the initiator. I found a, a pastor at my brother's, one of my brothers, where my brother lives in Richardson, Texas. There's a church there. Um, and this guy named Bob Diffenbaugh said, most of the infidelity that I have had the unfortunate experience of observing in Christian and non-Christian marriages has not been initiated by the woman, but rather by the man. I do not think Solomon intended for us to conclude that it is most often the woman that seduces the man, but rather I believe Proverbs pictures Madame Folly as the aggressor 
because she personifies the evil way. While not all women seek to seduce men, Satan is aggressively seeking to draw men away from God and into the evil way. In other words, it is a woman who is the seducer in Proverbs because she, Madame Folly, personifies sin. All right? So she, sin, and we see this, takes the initiative, okay? But it is the desire within us that actually leads us astray, isn't it? We saw that in James 1 that says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. But it is there within us. And then the temptation comes, and by that desire, we are led into folly. That is how it, it works. So how does she do this? She appeals to the fleshly, sensual desires of her victim. I experienced this just a few weeks ago. I, uh, my husband and I got a minivan at Enterprise. We always get used rental cars. And my objective was to drive this thing into the ground. So for over a decade, I drove it. Um, and uh, recently, we started to hear that hum in the engine, which said it is on its last lap, and I didn't want to trifle with this. So I said, okay, my husband's been begging me to get rid of this car. And I'm like, no, we're going to be responsible. And, uh, and so finally, I was like, okay, the engine breaking down scares me. Let's get a new one. And so I wrote down all the things that we needed in a car. And so, uh, you know, we need lower miles. I'm going to drive a lot. Uh, we wanted something newer. That would be responsible. Um, I don't need leather seats, keyless entry, heat warmers, GPS, you know, all this stuff. And so I just wrote down the stuff we needed, put a price tag on it, went shopping, found the car. I was so happy with this car. It was going to be new. I, you know, I've been driving this stinky, smelly thing with broken doors for a really long time. And so I was so excited. But then we go to pick up the car, and they say, well, bad news, it's not ready yet, but go pick out another car in our lot, and you can drive that around while uh, yours is being ready, and it might take a few weeks. So I'm like, okay. My husband's like, just pick, just pick uh, anyone you want. I'm like, okay. So I pick, you know, this Arcadia or something like that, and I get in it. It has the leather seat and it has the seat warmers, and it has the keyless entry, and all the buttons, and everything, and I got in that thing, and it felt so right, and it felt so good, and it's like it started speaking to me, you know, I mean, it, it was like, it was like, you remember when you used to drive leather seats, and this is, you're just born for this, and, 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 you know, I mean, I just wanted this car, and then all of a sudden, I started thinking about the other one, thinking maybe that wasn't a good decision, and, and all of a sudden, I'm not kidding you, the difference of price tag on these two cars was $10,000, Okay, and I actually had the thought, this is a confession, you know, all that money that I've been saving for all these years to go to school, well, maybe I'd make more money if I put that money on this car, and I want to spend more time in the car then, you know, the, the, the keyless entry would, would, would save me money, and their seats are leather, so I'm, I'm going to save money in medical bills because I'm not going to be running my hands down. I mean, I found a way to justify getting this nicer car. I even asked them how much it was. I did research online if I could get it cheaper. I mean, it was unbelievable how that spoke to my sensual desires, uh, you know, for pleasure. It was right there. And uh, I had to sober up and just go back to it and just say, no, stop. Sarah, that is your flesh. You made a decision in wisdom before all these things are speaking to you. Go, stick with the original car. We did. We got the car. It doesn't have the leather seats or anything like that. And guess what? I'm just as happy. But for a moment, I was tempted. And so we see some things about folly in this description. How she appeals to the fleshly, sensual, 
sensual desires of her victim. And this is one story, but it's happened in other ways, uh, at least to me in the past week. She stimulates our desire by uh, stressing the, the rewards. They kept coming you know, to my head about, you know, I'm going to spend more time working in my car because I have leather seats and, and, and they're warm, so I'm going gonna, gonna to be wanting to drive around more and selling more houses. Um, and then minimizing the, quick, the consequences. That isn't really that much money. Yeah, it is. Um, and then she will urge us to forget the future and live for the moment. And she flatters with her mouth. And I could hear myself, Sarah, you, you deserve this. You have worked so hard. You know, you have worked so hard. You don't even have time to, to clean your closet. You deserve this car, okay? That's, that was specifically something that came to mind. Um, and then she's smart. The things I started reasoning with myself, she was so smart. But ultimately, she makes a fool of those who follow her. I can tell you right now that having that newer car would have brought absolutely no extra joy to my life, none. But I can't tell you how many times I have drawn down the street in my stinky, smelly minivan, okay, and stuck Shane and Shane on that radio and belted it as loud as I can sing because no one could hear my voice and worshiped the Lord and asked him to guard me against materialism and cried and wept driving that car. I did, all, I did it all the time. That is where joy comes from, not from those things. And so, but so deceitful is folly that you forget all of that in those moments. And so what we see in folly is that in the end, when we, when we succumb to her, that nothing good comes from following her. Nothing. Specifically, the penalties of folly expressed in Proverbs include, but are not limited to shame, distress, panic, fear and anguish, poverty, disgrace, calamity, destruction, and even death. I picked Proverbs 7.26. Uh, her heart is the way to hell, and going down to her, the chambers of death. So obviously this isn't just one folly or one sin, but this is following in her way and consistently following our flesh. That is where it leads and we can see up close the ways of folly when we look at Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2.16, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts in the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any tree, any of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took and ate of its fruit, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they had been fooled. Actually, they knew that they were naked, but immediately they felt shame because they knew. In this, we see the process of folly, where Satan took the initiative. He distracted them from, above all else, the path of fellowship with the Lord. Even in paradise, they were still fooled. He spoke partial truth. He stressed the rewards of sin by stimulating the desire of her flesh, the fruit is good to eat. You need this food. You know, if you take this, you're going to be smarter. There's wisdom 
in eating of this fruit. And she spoke to that. Believe me, it was, there was something in her heart, was deceitful, that went down that path. Then he minimized the consequences. You shall surely not die. And he was very crafty. He made Eve believe that God's word is subject to her judgment and created doubts about his goodness and his trustworthiness. If anyone had every reason to believe that God was trustworthy, they walked with him in paradise, and yet they still doubted. And while that's scary, if that was you and I in that place, because of our hearts, we know doctrinally that we would make that same decision, and that should scare us. So Satan, or Madam Folly, plays into the weaknesses and the flesh, and specifically in Eve's case, and Folly still does it the same way, appeals to pride and unbelief, okay? The definition of folly that we kept seeing in our text this week uh, is that Eve was right in her own eyes. She was right in her own eyes. Unlike Madame Folly, Dame Wisdom refers to all the ways of performing righteousness, is godlike, speaks only truth. Wisdom is desirous to be heard and heeded for the good and not for the evil of the person. She doesn't tell men what they want to hear, but she tells them what they need to hear if they are to be delivered from death. It's not instant gratification, it's work and it's hard. Whereas folly is personified as an adulterer and one who has broken covenant with God, wisdom is personified as a virgin implying unspoiled, pure, valuable, and set apart. Isn't that beautiful? Wisdom would be the one that the wise son should pursue and with whom that he should seek a wholesome yet intimate relationship like with a virgin. All right? Wisdom appeals to the spiritual, to the breath, to breathe life to the soul, and folly to the flesh, resulting in death, right? That was one of your questions on that sheet. Whereas folly is worthless, wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Her reward, according to Proverbs, is that she loves those in return who love her. She guards them, she watches over them, and exalts them. She offers security, peace, long life, riches, and honor, eternal life, and eternal reward. Some things they have in common, so wisdom and folly, both call out and urge men to follow in their paths. We see this in Proverbs 1, 20 through 23. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she calls out. At the entrance to the gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out your, my spirit to you. So she is willing, and I will make my, known's word to you, my words known to you. She is available, and she's calling out. We saw this this week. When it says she cries in the streets, this means that wisdom is not hard to find. It's not hidden. And what I love about this is that ultimately, when wisdom is fully personified in Christ, this is exactly what we see him doing. He spoke openly in the crowds. He spoke in the temples, at the city gates, all of those places. It's very specific to explain in the scripture where he arrived because he is wisdom personified, and that's exactly what he did. In John 18, 19 through 20, 
when Christ goes before the high priest, it says the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. And he spoke to the Gentiles as well. We know this. And he said to them, I have said nothing in secret. Nothing. Wisdom personified, embodied, embodied Dame Wisdom. And he charges ministers to proclaim the gospel on the rooftop. So those who follow after Christ, he says, tell everyone. There's nowhere where the gospel should not be proclaimed. We're to go to the ends of the earth proclaiming this. All right? So Madame Folly also calls out, but to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. So that really stood out to me. She wants those on the path, pathway here going straight. She wants them to turn. It's almost like sneaky. I don't know if you picked up on that, but I kept thinking, that's, that's almost like counterfeit. She's like, you know, you're going this way, and I'm going to go after you, but I want, you almost have to turn in to follow folly. So you're turning from this way. Uh, number two, both call to the simple. So simple in, in, in this context is used to contrast those who have understanding or those with no, no moral insight, self-direction. The simple have uninformed minds, not given up to sin, but who are in danger of it. Wisdom calls to the simple because it cares for them to give them understanding, whereas folly calls out to the simple because they are the most vulnerable and likely to follow her as she takes advantage of them. Number three, folly calls to those on the path of wisdom, and wisdom calls to those on the path of folly. So they cross paths. And what we can get from that is that fools can turn and seek, and the wise can be fooled. Thus we see is that there is always a choice. There's always a choice. And when we read these two lists, it makes perfect sense to us who we should follow. We, we get it. We're like, you know, I, I want to choose wisdom. This is my heart, you know. And, and, so, and so most of us in this room, you know, we're on this path to wisdom, and we get it. But we have to realize that anytime we sin, we are choosing to be foolish, okay? And so I went in through Proverbs, and I read all the, read all the Proverbs on folly, and I picked ten ways that I thought that... Um, you know, I know myself and, and friends and, 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 you know, working with the church, that we may be duped by folly. Uh, so 10 ways in our action and then 10 ways in our mouth. And I'm not going to elaborate on them. I'm just going to read them slowly. And, and um, this, like I said in the beginning, this is kind of a mind dump in the beginning. So I just want you to listen to them. Um, number one, when we fail to consider what God wants and don't pray. Number two, when we don't want to learn the truth and or stay out of the word of God. Number three, when we fail to receive godly counsel and do not submit to authority. Number four, when we linger in the company of fools. When we want to voice our own opinions to have our own say in matters. Number six, when we are wise in our own eyes or think much of our opinions and or our ways of doing things. Seven, when we hold onto our sin or hide wickedness, when we are prideful, lazy, and finally, when we don't like discipline or submit to it. And then 10 ways uh, throughout Proverbs concerning our mouth where we uh, can choose folly. When we hide hatred, when we lie, slander, or gossip, when we speak without thinking, 
Number four, speaking falsely about the word of God so we're not in it to study it and we misrepresent it. Um, withhold truth from someone who needs it, number five. Number six, when we fight with others, particularly other believers. Number seven, when we stir up controversy. Eight, when we answer a fool in their folly and defend ourselves. I finally learned that lesson this past year, and I'll let you know. There's wisdom in it, and it's really good, so okay. Um, number nine, speak or come to conclusions before listening to the facts. And number ten, when we vent our anger. I don't know about you, but I definitely um, have succumbed to some of these in the past, uh, it, it, you know, recently. And so I have to constantly be praying. I mean, we, we, we don't walk in the way of folly because we have the Lord and we have the Spirit, but we have to realize that folly is uh, there for us. It still is a temptation. And while these are momentary hiccups, there is a graver concern than just a few sins. These little sins do dull our sensitivities. With every one that we say yes to, we are turning, in a sense, from the Lord. We are breaking fellowship with him in that sense. I'm, I'm astonished sometimes that, you know, like, like uh, you know, sometimes people will talk, you know, so they love the Lord, and then, this, then they're gossiping, like, like right away. And I'm thinking, how, when's the last time you've spent time with him? Like, anyway, I, a few weeks ago, I, um, I was just really busy, and, and it, 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 like several days had gone by, and I thought, oh, my word, it's been, you know, at least three days since I've been in the Word, and I was like, Lord, I'm so sorry, and I started praying, and I was like, Lord, I, I just don't feel like praying right now, and I'm like, I hate this question, but I need to ask you, like, did I mess up somewhere? And immediately, the Holy Spirit is so quick to remind you the last time you fended him, and uh, I don't even remember what it was. It, it, you know, it, it might have been fussing at my kids um, in anger or something to that extent. That that type of thing, and um, and 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 uh, and I just and I and I as soon as he brought it to my mind, I just Lord, I'm I'm so sorry. And then I and then I sensed his presence just return, and I, I felt the freedom to continue in prayer. And and you know, daily, momentarily walking with him in fellowship you know, is, is what guards us from choosing these little bitty things and, and prizing that. But we can't, you know, assume fellowship and, and be sloppy with folly because it, it is real. It does offend, and we do have to make, walk in fellowship and make those things right. So those little sins dull us, and in that sense, uh, they, are, they are dangerous because after a while, we may think we're walking with him, and, 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 and you know, we, got, we, got, we have got to correct our hearts and, uh, and, and confess our sins because he's so faithful and just uh, to cleanse us and to, and, to, and to bring us into his presence and, and, to, and to, for us to have that oneness, that sweetness of fellowship again. So um, case in point, and this is the uh, closing big example, is uh, Solomon. Here we have someone who knew that fellowship. We have someone who walked with the Lord. We see evidence of how much Solomon loved the Lord because when he, you know, he, he's, he's trained by his father, we know that he was taught in the ways of the Lord. We know that when he could have asked for anything, he prayed for wisdom, probably to know the Lord. But we know that Solomon knew his need, he knew his weakness, and he, he sought the Lord. And so the Lord, what did he do? He, he granted him what he asked, and he was honored by that, and the Lord loved Solomon. And so you know, they, had, they had sweetness, they had fellowship, not only that, Solomon had seen the Lord's provision when him come in and, 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 and the Lord provide Israel 
and, and they were standing, and the, I, I, I'm so overwhelmed with 10,000 things I want to say right now, and that's what's going on in my brain. But the temple being finished with Israel living in the land and all the prophecies being fulfilled, and Solomon's at the height of his reign, and the Shekinah glory comes into the temple, he stands in the presence of God and he prays to him. And in this prayer, we see a man that had spent and grown up walking in fellowship with the Lord who loved him. I actually, uh, I, I brought part of that prayer. It was 1 Kings 8, uh, verse 54. He stood and blessed all the assembly with a loud voice saying, may he not leave or forsake us. May he incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statue, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. And I, I like to think that when he stood at the temple that day and the Lord had fulfilled his promises to Israel, that that this was a man that had very good intent of continuing and pursuing in wisdom until the very end. And because the Lord loved him, the Lord came to him and he warned him of these things because he wanted to guard him. And if the Lord comes to me and tells me something, I, I really am going to be scared of that thing, but the Lord tells him, and in fact, he warns him two times, uh, 1 Kings 9, 4, And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father did with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal th throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I consecrated for my name, where you stand today, I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. So what you see here is actually the high point of the entire Old Testament. If there was going to be a movie, Hollywood movie on the whole Old Testament, this would be, this would be the climax right here. This, this, would, this would be it. His folly was the linchpin and the avalanche of everything that collapsed in the whole second half of the Old Testament until Christ comes as that grand finale and will ultimately come again. But his folly was the linchpin because we see right after that the King Solomon does what? He forgets the Lord. Ultimately, that's what he does. He forgets the sweet fellowship, and he is duped by folly. And we read in 1 Kings 11.1, 1, now King Solomon, and, and as I read this, I, if you'll just do me a favor and, and reflect at how grievous this is, just to the Lord, okay? Now Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will lead your heart away after other gods, after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after 
Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow after the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Melech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. Jeremiah 2.12, the prophet cries out, how the gold becomes dim. How has the most fine gold changed? Be astonished, O heavens, at this and be horribly afraid. That is what this is meant to do, is sober us. I was particularly uh, uh, wrestling over the fact, is Solomon saved? Is Solomon saved? And, uh, and, and I'm not going to teach that, but I was so trying to figure this out that I finally came to the conclusion that the Bible isn't explicitly clear of yes, he was, or no, he wasn't. We kind of have to assume, and I think that's the Lord's judgment on him, in a sense, because he never took away Solomon's reproach. And we are left with some kind of doubt if he even finished and went to be with the Lord. And some people will say, yes, he was, and they give their answer why. But when I read scripture, he ends on a very, very bad note. And that is sobering. And it's like the Lord is saying, I mean it when I say that folly is dangerous and sin is bad. Okay? It is meant for all of us to be sobered by. And that's why Paul brings it up in Romans. So the Lord, as we know, was angry with Solomon because he turned his heart away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and commanded him um, concerning this thing that he should not be, go after other gods. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, and this is what I want you to hold on to, since this has been your practice. So he followed in the way. He didn't just sin once or twice. He didn't, just, he didn't just go after the women, and that was one little sin. He went in the way of folly. Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. And then king after king, as we know and we learned last year, falls until the destruction of the temple, where the, glory, the presence of the Lord uh, you know, was that day, and, uh, and it all falls apart. So I read in this that Solomon followed in the way of folly, and we have to ask ourselves, what happened? Well, we remember the gold gals and Gideon. We know that he didn't obey. So at minimum, he didn't submit to the Lord's commandment to love him with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, he didn't submit to authority, and he looked to the horizontal instead of the vertical to satisfy his, and so here are the main points. There's five of them that we can learn. Number one, the deceitfulness of sin is enough to deceive the wisest of men. Number two, the strength of man isn't enough to make the strongest of men stand. Solomon was stronger than perhaps any man who, king who ever lived, he had 4,000 chariots. That's potentially 10 horses per chariot, so 40,000 horses, okay? David wrote, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So Solomon would have known better. Uh, next point, number three, and I, I'm just quoting Matthew Henry on this one. It is easier to see of mischief and to show it to others than to shun it ourselves. We see that in Solomon. It was, he gave us wisdom, but he did not shun uh, folly himself. And number four, Solomon did not heed his own wisdom to fear the Lord. The fruit of fear is submission, 
and he did not submit. The equation, because the Lord didn't come and speak to us, but the equation of that for us would be that when we come to church on Sundays and we hear the pastor faithfully divide the word of God, and when Brian teaches it and we hear him, and we go home and we don't heed it, then we are in equal danger. Uh, it, it is the same as if the Lord is, is, is teaching us when he teaches from his word. We must submit. And then the final point is that wisdom alone is no match at all for the desires of the flesh. And the key word is wisdom alone. Okay, Wisdom alone is no match for the desires of the flesh. So eventually we see Solomon's compromise eventually disop- uh, choked his discernment. And, and I think at the point he missed, it, you know, you remember David and what did he say? He said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not what? Sin against you. So that's what it was about to his father. It was about sinning against the Lord. That's how it was personal. That's how it was personal, okay? And so um, the high priestly prayer, so this is at the point where Jesus prays not just for his disciples, but he prays for those who would believe in him through their testimony. And what does Christ pray for us, really. In John 17, 22, he says, God, I pray the glory you have given me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. It is oneness. It is fellowship. What protects us from folly above all else is treasuring that oneness, treasuring that fellowship above all else. Just a a few more points in this note. You know, I was, I noticed, I was like, well, I wonder why uh, Solomon didn't refer to Folly as a uh, prostitute and why she was an adulteress. You know, why does it have to be an adulteress? Um, and so I, as I studied, I found these answers. And I'm just going to read to you in Jeremiah uh, 3, 2, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Look at the shrines on every hilltop. Is there any place you have not defiled your adultery or been defiled by adultery with your other gods? So what we see in that is that the Lord compares going after false gods to adultery. And that's what, that's what Solomon did. So sin to him is going after other gods instead of him. It is unfaithfulness. And in an adulterous relationship, that is what folly, that, that, is, what, that is what she does. Okay? That, so that's why uh, the comparison there. Jeremiah 3.20, but you have been unfaithful to me. So he's talking about Israel. You people of Israel, you have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband, I, the Lord, have spoken. So the number two reason it would be uh, folly is, is um, seen as an adulterous woman and not a prostitute is that he sees Israel and the church as his bride. So, so folly, likewise, would be us, um, you know, he, he is, he is, we, are, we are his church, we are, we are his bride, okay? And then Jeremiah 3.23, how you plot and scheme to win your lovers, even an experienced prostitute, could learn from you. So adultery is worse than prostitution to the Lord. So he is using the toughest of literature to explain the darkness and the offensiveness of sin, okay, to him. And so ultimately, folly, above all else, offends, offends the Lord. And so my conclusion in that is that Solomon missed God. He, he missed the Lord by the end. And so what can we take from this? Um, and I didn't mean this to be super discouraging. <laughs> uh, I did want it to break us down. And next week, I will say this, is that the entire purpose of next week is, is just at the point of contact where we're tempted to go after folly. Uh, I have found um, 
you know, we're going we're gonna to look right at that point of decision to guard our hearts from it. So whereas today we're kind of breaking this down, next week it's, it's, we're going to start with, we're not going to go over folly again and what it is. I think we got that today, but it's just going to be how to build ourselves up and how to not uh, specifically how to edify ourselves so that we don't succumb to it, and it's going to end on a very happy note. So that is my objective next week. Um, so here's our, our three things, three or four things to learn. Number one, if sin can outsmart the smartest man, don't think for a second that sin can't outsmart you. It, we can still be duped by folly. We can, okay? Maybe not in the way of folly, thanks be to God's mercy and grace and, and Christ and being in him, but we can still be fools when we sin, and every time we do sin, we are still choosing uh, her ways, okay? We can also still look to the created order to satisfy us and dim the glory of Christ in our life. If I got that new car, I can guarantee you the only thing I'd be thinking about is the joy of being in that car. When, you know, I mean, I, w- I will take pleasure from I take pleasure from the, luxu- the luxuries and the securities of the flesh. I really do. And I remember a time when I lived in California and I needed the Lord and I had like next to nothing. I he he was brighter. He was brighter. I have a lot of comfort here, and so I'm, I'm challenged in my ways of en- enjoying him and not succumbing to the lusts uh, of, of my flesh, which, which for me would be like security, defending myself, um, being wise in my own eyes, uh, fear of man, th- those kind of things. Um, and then next point, it is worse when we as believers choose the way of folly because it is personal. Is personal to the Lord. We don't just do this. We don't just go to church, uh, you know, to, to be justified before him. We do it because we love him. We're in this relationship. Christ is making us one with him, and so it's a reflection of our love with him and our, and our joy to be united with him and to walk in wisdom, and so it is, uh, it, is, it is personal to the Lord, and we should know better, and then finally is just we don't want to miss the Lord, we don't, we don't want to miss him in this like Solomon did. And we don't have to because the Holy Spirit works in us to remind us constantly, hopefully, of his goodness. But we do have to continue to seek that out and to stay yearning and wanting his wisdom. So in the end, Solomon's strength uh, was actually in his weakness in the very beginning of his life. But he lost his strength when in the end he became strong. So in the beginning of this lesson, I said that we, I learned that I, I needed the Lord, and I hope we all see that we do still need him in overcoming folly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this lesson and for your goodness and that folly is indeed a force to be reckoned with, but God, it is by your good design because you have made a way for those who trust in you to be victorious And God, this is your plan, desire. You will make us able to endure in Christ because he is our victorious king who, unlike Solomon, never fell. And he fully trusted in your provision, fully obeyed, and is fully able to make those who trust in him victorious. So God, we lean on that provision now, and we thank you for this week. Please uh, keep us safe until we come back together next week and build us back up to make us strong and, and better worshipers of you. In Jesus' name, amen.